On this episode of Resi Week, Randy Klein retires from Crestron, Cedia Expo's innovation hub, and expecting more from your service providers. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is ResiWeek, episode 284, A Trusted Advisor. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on. Welcome to this episode of ResiWeek. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. This week, I am pleased to be joined by my good friend, Mr. Jeremy Glowacki. He is the executive editor of Residential Tech Today. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing well, Matt. It's uh, it's rare that it's a one-on-one uh, it's a podcast. One-on-one it's back. It's, it's like when blast. I had you on my podcast and we talked one-on-one, and we did it. So we did. We're gonna do it here. We're gonna do it <laughs> we here. It we were supposed to have uh, our good friend Alex Capasalantro from uh, from Josh AI. Unfortunately, he is under the weather today, so he couldn't join us. Uh, so you're stuck with you know Jeremy and I. So it's gonna be a great show. We're going to hold down the fort. Uh, Jeremy, let's kick this off with, uh, I got to say, uh, an announcement that kind of came out of, kind of came out of nowhere to me. Uh, this comes to us from CE Pro. Crestron's CEO, Randy Klein, has announced his retirement. He is going to retire later this fall, and the current COO and chairman, uh, Dan Feldstein, is going to take over the reins. If you recognize the the Daniel Feldstein name. That's because he is the son of Crestron founder George Feldstein, uh, who, as we said, is going to take over the president and CEO position. Jeremy, this is, as I said, this is one of those things where Randy's one of those characters that I, for whatever reason, I just never thought he'd retire. <laughs> he, he's one of those incredibly strong uh leaders in the industry that you just don't think about that you don't think about him uh and and again i have no idea what he's going to do in retirement but that stereotypical retirement of you know let's go down to fort lauderdale and play shuffleboard doesn't sound like randy um granted it's it's one of those things i know his wife had uh kind of slowed down or or retired i think a year or two ago um so it, it it does make sense but i'm sure that Crestron is is going to miss the force that that has been Randy Klein uh, for the the last eight years. What is what is the 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 legacy of of Randy at Crestron? What what is that going to look like uh, when he steps down later in the fall? Yeah, I was in the same thought. I, I couldn't really imagine him ever uh, willingly leaving. Uh, <laughs> that you know, one of these guys who just he nods off at his desk and that's it, uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, but he, he was a force for sure, like you said, uh, and, and will be until, till the day he actually steps out of that office. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, it, over the years, you know, I've been covering this industry for 20 plus years and, uh, I, I've had, had moments early on when, uh, George Feldstein, the founder was still alive and you would meet with him and he was the, quintessential inventor type personality, uh, yeah. really charming. He, he seemed like, uh, a real New Jersey guy just through and through you, you met with him. He, he showed you like things that were 
being developed that were never going to turn into real products that were just this like skunk works kind of inventor lab and it was just really mm -hmm. fun to to be a reporter being given this insight into this kind of creative mind and then there was randy and randy is um a management guy and i think what happened was he he kind of became like sort of the yin and yang of that company with with george where he he kind of had to do some of the heavy lifting of the management team putting the right people in place and he he quite a bit like created this structure that I think can survive without him. I mean, I think that's, that's the, the key to a good CEO or a president is, is putting the people in place that this thing, of course, he, he has an important role to play as the ex chief executive, but um, he should be able to create a company to where he steps away and it runs as well as it did while he was there. Um, I, I know that uh, Dan and, his sister both were in, involved in the company for for the past uh, twenty years or so as well. Yeah. So so there's been family um, legacy there for for the entire time that Randy's been in charge. Uh, it's not like somebody's coming in out of nowhere just because their name is Feldstein to yeah. to be in charge. So I am confident that there will not be any any missed um, you know momentum with this company. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, um, very well established and there are a lot of great engineers working for the company and sales professionals too. So what I, do you, I, what I, do you see with the, the, the change from, you know, going from a, a company that, as you mentioned, was, was run by George with that inventor mindset, but, but, you know, a founding family and then, uh, Randy comes in and, you know, changes that. And George was obviously still there for a little bit doing stuff while Randy was, was running things. Uh, Dan and his, his sister have been involved for, for quite a few years. And now the, I don't want to say the family's taking back over, but does that do anything or is there, is there any real changes you think to, to the culture when it goes through that kind of transition of family, not family back to family? It's hard to really point to uh, an exact corollary there, but the thing that came to mind was when when you look at the way Lutron has gone from a a founder um, to a non-founder at the helm, mm -hmm. and you would think that uh, oh man, here here's an entrepreneur who started this company from nowhere, has I'm talking about Lutron, um, and has a product in the Smithsonian, you know, really that that legacy, but then. You, you build enough people around you. And I don't know if, you know, there's still some family involvement at Lutron as well. That mm -hmm. That's not something that's very forward and present to the outside world. Um, but I, I don't, I don't foresee that someone like um, Dan Feldstein would probably try to change the, the process that's already in place there. And I would imagine he is part of that. Uh, what, what, uh, Randy Klein has created and mm -hmm. probably doesn't want to mess with with success because they are a successful company, uh, privately owned, and you do things the way you want to do them when when you're privately held. But yep. um, if you're if you're a successful company, I don't imagine they're going to try to mess with too much of that. Uh, the 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 individuals who are in charge um, in the in the various divisions are going to probably keep doing what they're doing. So uh, I I don't foresee this much uh, affecting things in the way the outside world looks at the company, to be honest.
Yeah, I don't either. It, it, it's going to be fun to watch because uh, again, it's it's crush run. It'll be it'll be a party. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Systems, new for Cedia Expo 2021, the Innovation Hub. This is billed as the place where cool brands share case studies highlighting the hottest new residential technology spaces. Uh, so this is going to have a couple of hot new spaces, uh, which is a direct quote, uh, including outdoor living, resi-mercial, multifamily housing, and micro-condo developments, work from home, home theater, lighting, security, and smart water, uh, just to name a few. Uh, as, a, as a side note before we totally dive deep into this if you are going to cedia expo and you haven't registered yet you can use avianation as a free code to get you access to the exhibit floor i keep forgetting to mention that so i'm gonna get that out of the way before i forget again jeremy this is i i don't want to say this is a, a a new thing they've had innovation alley before they've had all of these little kind of sections where hot new trends or, or hot new devices or hot new companies are out and, and kind of combined all on the show floor to help um, integrators and attendees, you know, kind of see all those um, new, new evolving technologies all in one spot, right? So you don't overlook them as you're going from large booth to large booth to large booth and, and you miss that little 10 by 10. What do you think about the way in which it looks like, and again, we haven't been there, we haven't seen how they're going to do this, so we're, we're kind of taking some educated guesses here. Um, what do you think about the way in which they're they're kind of using case studies to showcase some of these new um, divisions for, or, or not divisions, but, you know, areas for people mm -hmm. that haven't really, you know, jumped on the outdoor living side of things? Or, you know, well, well yeah, any any of these topics, really, I, I think case studies are, I mean, they're kind of like the uh, the magazine editor's best friend, because they're just such mm -hmm. uh, great ways to, to showcase new technologies. Um, it, it's a it's a being a case study, you're getting the real experience of what the application of the technology is. So if you apply that to a trade show floor, um, I think it really opens things up and loosens things up and makes things more tangible. Um, for those who maybe uh, are exploring, looking to explore a category that they haven't done anything with, this is the kind of um, story that you hear when you're sitting at a table at a conference that you go to. If you're at a buying group meeting or mm -hmm. management conference of some sort, and you sit there and you're having breakfast with your colleagues and you start, hey, I, I just did this project, and you start t hearing this story, and they keep, they go back and forth and talk war stories, you know, and uh, experiences out in the field. And I think that to present this in a more formalized way is a really great way to to introduce something like smart water, which I thought, well, that's funny. That's a, that's my favorite uh, kind of water to get when I'm out uh, at the uh, deli. But, uh, you know, it's <laughs> it, it, what, what the category is, and I, I don't refer to it like this, but it's, it's, it's like automatic shutoff valves and things like yeah. that to avoid uh, flooding and water damage so that's that's a category that you hear a lot about and you know this this uh topic that i again i i don't like buzzwords but the resi-mercial thing has really gotten big and thank in you C pro yeah so I, I avoid using that terminology but but it has its 
uh, purpose there in terms of that crossover from residential to commercial back to res- from commercial to residential, a lot of the home office stuff. Uh, and, and I know that that's going to be a lot of where we're seeing this is how do you make that, um, that zoom, that zoomification kind of thing happen, mm-hmm. um, in a professional way in a home. So do you it'd be interesting to see? To see if, yeah. Do you expect to see, tra- you know, the traditional brands really highlighted mm-hmm. in this, or do you expect to see this to be a little bit more of the, the startup? Cause you know, like if we use smart water as an, as an example, there are a handful of brands, mm-hmm. like large brands, that are playing in that space. The majority right. of the 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 smart water companies are kind of the smaller startups. Right. When you look at work from home, ain't nobody a startup in that world. That right. is, you know, that is either Amazon branded products or that is the big boys. It's mm-hmm. you know the the Logitechs and the Legrands that are playing in that space. What do you what do you think the 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 mix is going to be? Because typically, anything that was quote unquote innovation alley ish was always these small startup companies. Right? Is that going to push them kind of out a little bit? Well, so I spoke to Jason McGraw at Emerald, who was the mm-hmm. new Cedia guy, and Samantha Ventura uh, at Cedia, and uh, I I think this is going to be a little different than what. Uh, you would think of as Innovation Alley and Rookie Row back in the day. Um, there is also a thing called Launchpad, which is where they're really going to be putting those newer companies, uh, mm-hmm. like the CD of Propel types of companies, um, the the more startup or new to Cedia. But the Innovation Hub, which is what this article is mainly talking about, that is more of these trends. And so I do think it's a blend of the smaller companies, like you said, and some of those more established, bigger uh, consumer-facing companies. So um, the the thing where, where we do the case studies, that's a little different setting than what we're calling Launchpad uh, at the show. So um, I, I do think they're trying different things. I, um, not to be cynical, but I do think some of this uh, is sure, truly programming that's really planned ahead, but a little bit of mm-hmm. it maybe uh, space utilization on the floor because they're not going to have as big of a show as they have in past uh, years. Um, there are reasons yeah. for that. International companies not able to travel yet. Yeah, you know how that is. Um, there, there's uh, there's uh, 250 exhibitors, so it's not going to be a small show, but it's not going to be your t- typical size. So you're going to have some open space that you need to use in a creative way. And I think these are great ways to allow people a chance to just sort of take a break, a breather from one-on-ones at booths um, and absorb a little bit. Infocom's done a great job. Jason's from Infocom, um, yeah. Jason McGraw. It, the, those those um, stages that they have in the middle of Infocom. Yeah, center um, stage. Center stage. Uh, our friend Kirsten Nelson was involved in those. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was at Fantastic. Infocom. Yeah, I was at Infocom for, for the first time like in years, a couple years ago in Orlando. And I sat and watched those, and, and it was well, like outside of our focus at Residential Tech today, um, but I sat and watched a thing about cruise ship entertainment systems that was just amazing. Yep. Like I love that. So those kind of that type of approach, I think, really could work well, especially if you're not there just with a packed schedule where you have to be at a booth every second of the day. Like is is the case for me usually, but that's okay. I'll make some time for these things as well. Yeah, I'm really hoping that 
uh, and I'm glad you brought up center stage because it, it is somewhat akin to that. I'm really trusting that this does go down the the true case study methodology. Yeah. Where, you know, here was the problem. Here's how we solved it opposed to, uh, and, and this isn't, you know, a, a negative towards the, the companies and the brands, but typically you go to a, a booth and you're looking for a solution and a company will just say, yes, this is our, here's our package. Here's our solution for how we solve that. And, you know, we're, we're in the integration business. Quite often you need bits and pieces from multiple vendors to make a solution actually function. And, you know, when I see the, when I see the work from home and, and specifically the, the light commercial, no matter what any brand tells you, they do not have everything you need to finish any job. You do, you know, you need lots of things. And the, the case study side, especially if you're not working in those veins, will should be really, really helpful to help you really get a, a, a grasp and a, a true understanding of, you know, how those spaces work and how you can be profitable in them. All right, Jeremy, let's let's wrap this up with our last story today that actually comes from Residential Tech Today. Yay. And, yay. And Jory, <laughs> Jory Raymer. Am I saying that right? I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yes. I'm always happy when I get somebody's name right. <laughs> uh, smart home owners are expecting more from their service providers. <laughs> Take a look through the article. It, it's a really good one. It's talking specifically about how uh, there is a large number and an ever-increasing number of smart devices and, and specifically things like uh, smart dishwashers and refrigerators and appliances and other uh, high-end items that are kind of outside the typical HTP uh, landscape, but they're becoming uh, incredibly commonplace in a quote-unquote smart home. And when something in that device breaks down, how do you get it fixed? How quickly can you get it fixed? And who can actually fix it? Which was something that I, I, I got to say, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to. The, the best example they use is a, a, a smart dishwasher that can respond to you know commands given via Alexa or another home assistant, can get, send you a notification, all of those really cool things. When that dishwasher stops working, who's responsible to fix that and, and who can fix that? Jeremy, when, when you see this, when you, when you follow this story, it was one of those things that it really kind of reminded me of quite a few installations that we've been around where a homeowner got a brand new furnace and they got a smart thermostat from the HVAC company but it wasn't connected to anything other than the furnace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they got a, you know, uh, a brand new Gen Air, beautiful kitchen set of appliances, all smart, all, you know, can send you a notification. If the door's open, you can turn on the oven, uh, no matter where you are to preheat it. It was all installed. It's all working beautifully. Uh, none of the smart stuff was hooked up at all. Mm. The client looked to us and said, oh, by the way, can you, can you hook this up? And it's like, well, it's... It's not our stuff. Mm -hmm. Why are we hooking? Well, they don't do that. When it comes to the repair side, I imagine that's going to continually get worse. Is this one of those things where HTPs need to continually evolve to, to some degree, become the dishwasher repair person? Or is it one of those things where, especially if you find yourself doing a lot of service, you really need to align with a top-notch 
appliance repair right. company and kind of be that that go to hey you fix the the washing arm in the dishwasher and we'll fix the the network connection of the dishwasher right yeah so this was uh when you described that scenario it was very familiar to me especially with the hvac because i i got a new uh hvac system a few years back and uh it had a smart thermostat you know attached to it it was beautiful loved the thing um i had the opportunity to to uh upgrade my home to control for home. Um, thank you to the folks that helped me get that done, um, including Millennium Sounds in Indianapolis. And they swapped out the thermostat for a control for thermostat. And what, uh, you know, I, maybe the aesthetics weren't quite the same, but it, it, it all worked together with the entire mm -hmm. system. They didn't do that. They brought in an HVAC professional to do that, even though it wasn't installing any of the hardware for the system. It was literally the controller. But they said there were too many ins and outs of this thing, too much that we don't deal with on a daily basis, that we don't want to mess with it. We've had mistakes happen. You don't want your house to suddenly not heat in the winter or cool in the summer. So let's get that liability off of us and put it on the hand, mm -hmm. in the hands of someone who's a professional. You see that a lot with other uh, specialties that are still within the smart home space, but maybe go a little bit further out. Obviously, electrical mm -hmm. contracting is is a big one. But um, I think that, you know, having that experience firsthand, watching this integration company say, we don't have every answer. We can't do all this stuff, even though it's a smart item. Um, kind of woke me up to the fact that, that that's really a good way to do it. You got to take the ego out of it. You can't be all things to all people. Maybe you do have to look at who who can do the appliance repair as well. Um, be a good point company, uh, you know, service provider in general for your homeowner because they they know that they can call you. You don't always know who to call when it's something yeah. else in your home. Um, that that's that that comfort level with an integrator um, really to me is is where our industry is so much different than so many others. That you, if you can maintain that relationship and that trust factor and say, look, I'm not going to be the repair person, but I have a quote unquote Rolodex of preferred uh, vendors who are uh, service provi providers who can do it. Um, I think that's great, especially when you're dealing with those high priced um, appliances, you know, well, that I, I think that's really the key because I know just, just from our experience in, in my company, the company that I would call to fix a like a Maytag washing machine, right, is not the company that ever is going to be called to look at a Wolf Range, right, right. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it's it is one of those things. the The company that does the HVAC in my house is not the same as the company that does the thirty zones of radiant in floor heating in one of our larger, really you know cool um, customers' homes. Right. They're not the like yeah, they're in the same vein, but they're not the same. They're they're different mm -hmm. <laughs> they're different companies. They have different specialties. Is this not a, again kind of that perfect opportunity for to to steal Rich Fragosa's line for us to be that digital concierge? For yeah. our industry to be the the trusted professional that the homeowner talks to and says, Hey, you know, we need an electrician to fix this. Who do who do we use? Right. Because when they come to you, that it really cements that relationship. I, I guess my question to you would be, if it's one of those things where 
nine times out of 10, it's not, you know, the network that's causing the problem, but you are still kind of that middleman. Mm -hmm. How do you go about actually getting paid for that? Mm. Can you get paid for that? Or is it a, is it goodwill? Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. I was going to say that another term that came to mind was the trusted advisor. There's a book yeah. called Rob, by Robert Golfer. I had to look it up, um, but it was one of these books that you constantly heard re referred to at CDA management conferences and uh, those kind of meetings. But um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is goodwill, unfortunately. Um, I don't know how much, uh, maybe, maybe you have a relationship with that company as a referral fee or something. That's, mm -hmm. that's a good opportunity between business people as opposed to, um, land it on the, the client, you know, so you look good in the client's eyes, but that, that other company that you work with, uh, you say, Hey, uh, here, can we, if, if I refer to you, refer you in these situations that may not come up that often, you know, look out for me. Maybe there's a, a little bit of a, uh, a fee that goes your way. I don't know. Um, that's a, that's a good question. I did want to mention that this article was written, like, like you said, by Jory Raymer, and he's CEO of a company called Super, um, mm -hmm. which has this uh, app that's called Hello Super. And so he has an agenda in this article. There's no no sales pitch within it, but if you look between the lines, there's a reason why he wrote this because they that Hello Super is kind of like this um, third party um, service provider that they're trying mm -hmm. to establish. And I don't know a lot about it yet. I need to do some more digging with them um, as far as how well they've established their network of service providers. But it, their their uh, motivation is to try to get out there and create this like one-stop place for people who have smart homes to go on and su subscribe to their service. And if they're, they do have like a network system, uh, issue or something or a, an appliance goes out, a smart appliance that they have a contract with this company that has a repair professional that comes out or reboot something. So, um, that's very much, uh, presented on the consumer mass market level. Um, so not competing directly with a CDA level integrator, but I thought that was interesting and worth mentioning just in full disclosure. That that's what this article is kind of based around, um, kind of interesting business plan. Um, we'll see how well they get it established. It, it does really, pop just that good question though of you know and we've we've done gone down this rabbit hole as a company myself where you go to fix a problem and it's you know nine times out of ten it's it's an isp problem right but for whatever reason the homeowner always wants to blame you know the device that you sold them and you go down the the 40 steps of troubleshooting to then get back to the yeah, the, the ISP modem keeps rebooting, and that's why you keep losing your network. Mm -hmm. It's not because our, our WAPs are going down. It's because the ISP modem's rebooting. Um, I think that is the the big challenge these days, is that with so many things being connected, it's not that you show up with a 10 mil you know, socket and, and just fix the washing machine. It, it's going to be a much bigger problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the points this guy makes in his article. Um, and it's just, uh, there, there are a lot of headaches that you can't even predict at this point that could be software or hardware, and it's not necessarily mechanical. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a challenging time to, to not only be a service provider, but a homeowner, um, clearly with these yeah, products. Definitely. All right, Jeremy, let's wrap it there. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. 
if people want to connect with you, learn more about residential tech today, where can they do that? Um, well, yeah, go to the website, restechtoday.com and subscribe to the magazine. It comes out uh, every other month uh, in digital or uh, print. And uh, subscribe to the newsletter, which is uh, twice a week. And look for our podcast that we actually interview uh, professionals in the integration business and smart home space. Uh, it's called uh, Residential Tech Talk. So look for it on Apple Podcasts. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Uh, again, to, to Alex from Josh AI, please feel better. We're thinking about you, my friend. Uh, if you are, as I mentioned earlier, if you are going to Cedia and you want a free uh, access code for the show floor, just go to uh, the CD Expo website and type in AV Nation, and that will get you onto the show floor. Uh, thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Oh, 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 oh,